Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Sarah Rule, who is a well-known American playwright. She's received numerous accolades, including a MacArthur Fellowship in 2006. Two of her plays have been finalists for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, and in 2010 she was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Play, and that play was In the Next Room. She's currently on faculty at the Yale School of Drama. Her mother is originally from the Quad Cities and was very involved in junior theater here. And so thank you so much for talking with us today, Sarah. Oh, I'm so happy to. And also your mom, Kathy Rule, uh, Mm -hmm. will be with us today, too. So we're so excited about that. Likewise. You recently had your your play for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday, uh, complete an off-Broadway run, and that was written for your mother. Yes, that's right. I uh, I wrote it as a initially as a birthday gift for her for her seventieth birthday, and she had grown up in Davenport, Iowa, and played Peter Pan at the local theater there. And so, at my grandparents' house in Davenport, there were always pictures of her flying, wearing green tights and a green hat, and I always associated that with the magic and the power of theater. And when she was turning seventy, I, I thought about growing up and aging and what it meant to get older. And and I returned in my mind to this metaphor of Peter Pan. She was was in that production in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And she was involved at that time with the Davenport Junior Theater, which has Mm -hmm. been a force here in the Quad Cities for over 60 years. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's great. They also just recently completed a big renovation of their theater. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So when did she start filling you in on the story, being Peter Pan? And she actually had a direct connection with Mary Martin, who was in the original the original movie as well. Well, I think I'd always grown up with it. It was sort of a family myth that I'd grown up with. And there's also a picture of her posing with Mary Martin um, that I'd grown up curious about. And so I knew that one time Mary Martin came through town, she was doing... I'm not sure exactly what she was doing in the Quad Cities, but um, their picture was taken for the local newspaper. And my mother was so flustered meeting Mary Martin that she left her script upstairs, and then Mary Martin sent down her Peter Pan script signed, um, you know, to Kathy Peter Pan with love, Mary Martin Peter. So we also have always had this relic of this Peter Pan script in our house with Mary Martin's signature. Um, So I knew those those details, but um, when I started writing the play, I interviewed my mother and uh, and and her brothers and her sister too to get more material for the play, and also to make sure I wasn't getting the living history wrong. Mm-hmm. So she grew up in, in Davenport, was involved in the junior theater, and then when did she move to Chicago? She moved to Chicago shortly after she married my father, who was also from Davenport, and they had met out east. And then, um, so they they probably moved to Chicago when my mom had just graduated from college, so probably when she was 22 or so. Mm-hmm. And she continued to be, and still is active in theater. At this yeah, point. she always was acting uh, when we were literal. I mean, I think she took 
a little break when it was too hard to be out at night when we were little, but I always remember seeing her in plays or directing plays. And now, I mean, she, she's cast constantly. It's, I can't even get her to come visit sometimes because she's in play after play in Chicago, which is really great. That is great. I love the just the idea that her involvement herself as a child in theater in some ways was was likely the catalyst, I would think, for your involvement in theater and then ultimately becoming a very famous playwright. Well, there's no doubt that my mom's involvement in theater led to my being a playwright, and she used to take me to rehearsals when I was little, and I would watch the whole process. In the back, I'd even give her notes you know, for the director, which I'm sure drove people crazy. Um, and so theater always felt like a very natural home to me. Although, funnily enough, I always wanted to be a writer, but I didn't think about becoming a playwright until I was in, in my 20s. Uh, but because I had so many early experiences watching plays with my mother, uh, it, it it felt, you know, like a natural habitat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I think about writing, you know, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'm imagining if people want to write, they write essays or short stories or perhaps if they're particularly ambitious, a novel or maybe some mm-hmm. poetry. But playwriting is probably less, the least common I'm guessing. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I wonder. I wonder in terms of numbers if it's true. I mean, certainly I started out writing short stories and poetry. Uh, and I think it, it partly takes meeting a living playwright to know that it's a viable profession because for some reason so few of us get to meet a living playwright when we're little. Uh, living. I mean, you sometimes get a local author to come to your library and you meet them and you go, oh, my God, uh, you know, Madeline Lingle's a real person. I remember her at a book signing when I was little, but never did I meet a playwright. It just seemed like these plays were dropped from the heavens. And when I went to Brown University, I met Paula Vogel, and uh, she really mentored me and kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, you can do this. And I think a lot of uh, writers need that encouragement from from someone who is doing the thing. You know, it's, it's like an old-fashioned apprenticeship. It's it's very hard to believe you can make a living out of doing it. Uh, otherwise, I think. Mm-hmm. But you've certainly done that and have been so successful, which is just fantastic. Tell me about this gift for your mom. So you we wrote this in honor of her for her seventieth and. There are some themes that I think are really beautiful um, about growing up and um, facing death and the deep family bonds that we create along the way. Well, I initially set out to write her a gift play almost almost in the same way that people used to write, you know, occasional poems, like the, the poet laureate would write a poem for the inauguration or you'd write someone a birthday poem. And I thought, why doesn't anyone ever write someone a play as a gift? Um, And because my mom's an actress, it seemed natural to write her a gift play. And when I teach at uh, Yale School of Drama, I often have the students write each other what I call gift plays at the start of the semester. And they're just short and they're very intimate and private. And they write a short play for a fellow writer and perform it or or give it to them in private. Uh, So I think finding an intrinsic reason to write a play rather than, you know, an extrinsic reason um, is something I've been thinking a lot about over the past five years, and it seemed like a really natural thing to do for my mom. And I asked my family members, I think I asked them five questions when I interviewed them, and I asked them, uh, do you pray? 
what do you think is wrong with this country? What are some early memories you have of Christmas? Um, how do you feel about your birth order? And do you believe in an afterlife? And so it also became a really interesting occasion to just get to know my family even better. And I, I you know, I think I know my family pretty well. We're very close, but you don't often get to ask those kinds of questions, mm-hmm. um, you know, at Thanksgiving. Right. I think at this point, maybe we should go back and, and tell the listener that the play involves your mother and four of her siblings, mm-hmm. right? And it starts in the hospital when they're having a vigil around the deathbed of their father. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of moves on to a part later on in, in their home where they're really talking about how they grew up and mm-hmm. and their different conflicts. And uh, I guess it would be all your aunts, your mom and aunt and, aunt and uncle, uncles, mm-hmm. um, despite their differences, were able to reconcile and really show their love despite having very different viewpoints. And I think that's also very poignant given the polarization that we're experiencing now. Uh-huh. I feel, yeah, that it is, and I I feel that, you know, my family has always had lively political discussions, and, you know, there's an Irish Catholic streak in my family, and everyone enjoys having a good political battle over some Irish whiskey, um, but I found that as, the, as we've become even more um, divided in the country uh, politically, it's it's harder and harder to have those political conversations, even with people you dearly love. Uh, So, I mean, partly I was really just interested in the music of speech of five siblings talking and what that's like, and also my memory of conversations where um, there are deep political divides, but, you know, people hug each other at the end of the day, you know, that the conversation is able to happen with with deep love and respect. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's just that's just beautiful. At the end, because they're because really reflecting on that, their um, their past, their inf- infirmities, they're starting to develop their the future, which is unknown. The concept of death. Then it kind of moves into a fantasy sequence in which the siblings jump into this world of Peter Pan, which circles back to your mom and her initial involvement in junior theater here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a strange structure for a play, but weirdly I always knew that it would be the first part would be a vigil over a dying father, and the second part would be sort of a wake, and then the third part would be um, all of these siblings in their 60s and 70s, you know, dressing up and going to Neverland. And I think that there's a there's an Eastern structure of playwriting that's really ancient, uh, Japanese no theater where the structure of a play is often um, someone meets a ghost they they can't recognize the ghost and at the end of the play they dance with the ghost or embrace the ghost and um, in For Peter Pan there's you know the ghost of the grandfather sort of haunts the second act and, and makes an entrance in the in the end of the in the third part so um, it, it's not a structure that that uh, is maybe deeply familiar to, to a Western audience, but it makes a lot of intuitive sense to me. Mm-hmm. When the play was in Chicago, your mom played herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk to her about that? I'm yes, curious and I, about I'll that. just say before I put her on that watching my mom play herself was one of the deepest 
you know, artistic and personal pleasures of my life. Um, she was, she was really wonderful and, and brave to do it. And, um, I just loved watching her do it. Mm -hmm. So Kathy rule, we have you on the line and I'm so happy to talk to you. What was it like to have your daughter present you with this gift of a play written, written specifically for you? Um, I guess it's sort of evolved. I mean, at first it was just a play about our family, and um, then it became a play about our family that was going to be done and, and, and you know, given life, and then it was a play about our family that I got to do. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty exciting prospect, but it changed character over time. Oh, you mean just the because you weren't expecting at the beginning when the play was written that it would come to this, that it would no, reach this great point? No, I didn't really. Um, I the first time I read it out loud though with other people, I thought, oh gosh, I'd like to do this. Um, I, I liked the way the the words felt in my mouth and um, the voice I heard in my head, and so. That was, I think, part of the gift that Sarah arranged a a Chicago production for me to do. Mm -hmm. I love the symmetry, too, of you playing Peter Pan in such a memorable way when you were younger here in Davenport. And then then playing, again, Peter Pan, same role, (laughs) in your 70s. Right. Well, it was funny. Um, uh, There was – I went to the – the, the um, closing performance on Sunday here of the of the production here in New York, and there was a talk back afterwards, and a woman came up to me, and she said, I played Peter Pan when I was in my 40s. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great, because now you can play it again at any age. At any age, it's great. Um, you've remained active in theater all your life. And for I have. The, right, the listeners in our community, it was just really lovely to think about you as a young person in the Davenport Junior Theater. And and I hope you know it's alive and well. And oh, I do. Beautifully I restored. Do. So it's in a new location from when you were here. And moved. that's at Annie Wittenmeyer, right? That's correct, on Eastern Avenue in Davenport. And they have three plays, I believe, uh, coming up between the fall and spring of, of this year and spring of, of course, 2018. And so Great. we're hoping that the public gets out to see those. Well, we used to take the show wagon around to parks in the summertime. Tell us about that. Well, that it, it was pretty cool. I It would have been a tr- truck bed, and they would have had sides that would um, fold down uh, to open up the stage. And, you know, we changed clothes back behind the truck, and we would come into a park, and they would play loud music, and kids would gather to come and watch the play. So that was the first iteration of it. And then in then they began um, doing it in the schools in the winter, doing some plays in the schools. I remember being in a play once when I think I had about 103 fever, so I don't remember much about it. Um, and then uh, eventually, you know, using using the Orpheum 
for Peter Pan. And then once I went away to college, I, I wasn't in very good touch in terms of what they were doing, although I knew about the Wittenmeyer Project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't been there. Yes, I would like to go there, too. Yeah, we hope you come back and and, um, and are able to see that. I believe the Orpheum that you're referring to is now the Adler Theater. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you think that our listeners in the Quad City should know about or that you oh, want to say? Oh, gosh. Um well, I, I, I hope that we can come there sometime with this play. I think it would be a lot of fun. It would be spectacular. Um, in um, in January, and I was going to tell your daughter Sarah this, in January and the first weekend of February, her play in the next room, uh, or the vibrator play, is being produced at Augustana College for yes. the first time. That's right. Um, it's it's a lovely play. It's It's not at all... Well, it is about vibrators, but 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 it's not what you would expect it to be. It's really very very sweet and funny. Right, it's based in the late 1800s. Right. When when surprisingly the vibrator was when electricity was introduced widely, the vibrator was among like the first 20 things to be electrified. Because busy doctors had been using that technique for literally millennia to treat hysterical women. The idea was that they, women were hysterical because somehow um, uh, some kind of liquid was trapped <laughs> in, in the womb. It had nothing to do with sex. It was just a, a problem. Yeah. It's really amazing to look back on that, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it definitely is. And yeah, there and and I think in this play, you know, this play sort of does look back on those attitudes. There's a very funny moment. The doctor's wife is is curious about what his her husband is doing in the other room. So she and one of his patients experiment with it. And the one says, oh, it makes me feel sort of freezing cold and jittery. And the other one, it says, well, it makes me feel warm and soft. And and they tell this to the wet nurse. And she says, well, it sounds like you're describing feelings that I have when I have intercourse with my husband. And they say, oh, no, no, that wouldn't be it. <laughs> My husband is very thoughtful. He, he, he waits until I'm asleep and comes in quietly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for those who want to see this play, it sounds hilarious. It, it, really, it really is. But it's also very sweet, and it's really not at all um, prurient. I don't, I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, it's playing the weekend of January 26th through 28th here and also February 2nd through 4th. So you'll have to come back and see it. But yeah, we're hoping I'm, we're hoping to put on uh, for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday and cast you in the lead role. We'll see if we can pull that one off. Oh, that would be just lovely. <laughs> I would be very happy to do that. May, may I wonder if Bump Peter is still around or or any of the any any of the kids who did it. You know, that would be really perfect. Mm-hmm. 
that would that be. we had done it as children and and yeah yeah it brings it full circle yeah for sure this has been carolyn martin talking art in the quad cities for wvik